As always, riding shotgun, the uh, the counselor, my buddy, the do rag wearing Chisholm Cook. <laughs> How are you, my friend? I'm great. This is my uh, manual labor after work hours outfit. Nice. I like it. I like it. The beard's back. The hair's growing out. So we got it all tied up in a do rag, which I guess is better than a man bun, but. Uh, again, those of us that can't do it are always just jealous. So, anyway, <laughs> that's, um, been my, that's been what I've found. Yeah, the most the guys who always tend to be the most against long hair tend to have receding hairlines. It seems. Well, I definitely do. Look at that. Um, how first of all, how are your parents doing? We talked about that last week. Uh, your dad went on. Well, it sounds like a dream trip going to Costa Rica to go blue water fishing and come back with COVID. But I see. Is he doing okay? Yeah, yeah, he's actually doing really good. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think he's basically just over it. Um, cool. Yeah, I, he was doing well enough. I picked up a couch uh, for their ranch house for him, thinking that they were going to stay home and rest, and they ended up heading down there and helping me unload it. And that was five days after he had tested. You know, he had first had symptoms, and he was mm-hmm. fine. So mm-hmm. he's just a little tired. I will yeah. say, you know. It's getting hard to argue the idea that these vaccines are helping people shake this thing off because I know I know as many people that are vaccinated that have caught it in the last 60 days as who are not vaccinated mm-hmm. that caught it. But the only, you know, the, the few people I know that, are, that have been hospitalized for it have all been unvaxxed. That's all anecdotal, but it aligns with what yeah. they're, they're yeah. telling us. Well, also, this is not going to be a COVID episode, but yeah, there are. Yeah, I'm tired of talking to be about it. mentioned like. Okay, if the vaccine works, why is our governor COVID positive? Why did Greg Abbott test positive for it? Oh, it's because it doesn't work. Look at Israel. Have you been looking at the stats in Israel? The country's 90% yeah. vaccinated, and they are in the throes of COVID hell with a Delta outbreak. They're the most vaccinated country in the world. I want to say we aren't going to dwell on this. I'm sick of tired, tired of talking about COVID. I just wanted to acknowledge what seems to be the case at the same time. To your point, that's not the way this thing was sold. I heard people saying early on when the vaccine first came out that, yeah, this won't guarantee you won't get sick. Well, right. We know that about any vaccine. It never guarantees you're not going to get sick. But but now what they're actually telling us, and this is from Fauci's mouth just in the last two weeks, is that these particular vaccines were never actually intended to be what would be considered a, quote, sterilizing vaccine, meaning mm-hmm. that it sterilizes the virus and prevents you from getting uh, infected by it that wasn't the design of these things there's this one quote we talked about last week where he even goes you know where dr sanjay gupta explains it wasn't even intended to help keep the virus out of your nasal passages it right. was to keep it out of your chest so it was never intended to stop the spread doesn't look like even slow the spread or maybe that's all a maybe that's all a post hoc justification that they're throwing out there now either way it hasn't done anything to help people's trust in government institutions on this matter 
in big yeah. pharma and you know anybody who trusts big pharma in the first place or the government isn't using their brain um and and it definitely hasn't i don't think done anything to help overcome those of the population who might be vaccine hesitant as yeah. they say yeah um, so be less hesitant, last right? week that i had i hadn't like said okay i'm gonna go get the vaccine but i was as close to i thought about it more like laying in bed at night thinking oh, my kid's gonna get really sick if i don't go get this vaccine no bottom line is my kids are going to be the ones that bring it home from school and give it to me so you know i don't think i'm gonna prevent them from getting it and I, again i just after another week of stewing on it i'm i'm back on the other side i'm like after seeing what happened in israel there's no point there's no point in getting it so that's where i'm at uh the kids yeah, are back in school virus. your kids are back in school which i'm sure that day was cause for celebration at your house uh yeah absolutely it was yesterday for us so um, national lunar day i heard that's what you refer to it all that's right as. that's right <laughs> I, I think we should implement a national back to school day um have every school in america start on the same day and then make it a federal holiday and um maybe we can come up with a little bit more pc like proper name for it but well no you have you to know. define what nooner is for the audience Right. Well, so so we would call it, you know how like the, you know, Independence Day, we just call it the fourth. Right. Mm -hmm. So we would have like um, National Back to School Day, but we would adults would just refer to it as Nooner Day. Uh -huh. uh, and the Nooner, of course, is um, when you have the rare and cherished opportunity to get it on in the middle of the daytime. <laughs> there you Take, go. Make your lunch break a working lunch. <laughs> I like it. National Nooner Day. But uh, it raises the problem that we talked about of, which I guess if it's a federal holiday, doesn't matter. But, you know, a Nooner, a nooner can really, um, it doesn't do a whole lot for motivation for the rest of the day. Okay. And is that because right. you've reached the top of the mountain for that day? Like it's the day's not going to get any better? Or is it because it like drains you of all of your ambition? All of the above. Right. <laughs> which, well, and the two are interrelated, right? Like, <laughs> you don't feel like going that, and bench, bench bench pressing after getting it on in the middle of the day right because why are you bench pressing in the first place is to try to get some to your point so i mean if, you know if you've got all of this testosterone driving you to uh produce at the end of the day the production is really about uh getting in her pants right so so like if you've already gotten in her pants you, you're useless for the rest of the day for sure you have to you know, sleep on it and the next, next day be motivated again. So I place, but, but, uh, but then also you just, it's just the energy, right? It's just, you know, I've long, I've had a long standing rule that, so Monday is soccer day and I don't, I don't do that before a soccer game at any point in the day, or oh, like yeah. you said, worthless. Oh, there's the ball. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you, you don't, you don't, you don't knock one out before a fight. Or before you know a football game, or even basketball or soccer. Yeah, you, you need that uh, aggression, or you're gonna be uh, pretty lazy out there. Yeah, yeah, disinterested. Um, content. Yeah, that's a it. Good makes way. you content, and Just, what is you're smiling you know, the rest of the day, but you're certainly production goes content. Down and... Content is very detrimental to to uh, to uh, ambition, right? <laughs> Uh, we've got an interesting topic to get into today. We, we briefly hit on it. I think it was last week you brought it up. Uh, but we're going to talk about drone strikes and drone technology and what that means for the United States military, but also what it means for us as civilians. 
first of all, I think we need to clarify. These are not the drones that you go get at Best Buy. They cost you a thousand bucks or whatever. <laughs> Chisholm, the size of these drones are, I'm looking at it right now. The larger craft that our military, United States military currently manufactures is about 65 feet wide with a weight of 10,000 pounds. And they can fly for uh, 14 hours at 300 miles per hour at 50,000 feet. That's the largest drone. That's an unmanned aircraft, 65 yeah. feet wide. Uh-huh. That wingtip to wingtip, it's got to be, I guess, right? Yeah, that's what it says here. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's I a lot like bigger that. than people would think, right? It's a big plane, yeah. Yeah. The Sea Hunter. Okay, here's one. Um, says not all of America's military drones are aircraft. The Sea Hunter is a 132-foot-long, 135-ton unmanned submarine or surface vessel surface vessel so i didn't even think about that i think the, the term drone makes me think of flight but you know we've got you know submersible or yeah i mean you can you could make a drone just about out of anything right i mean mm-hmm. it's just a remote control car or boat or plane so yeah We've got little little versions of that that have been out for 40 and 50 years. Why couldn't we have big versions? Sure. That, you know, you can fly on the opposite side of the globe from, you know, a bunker in Arizona. Yeah. So a lot bigger than I mean, like I said, than I would have thought. But they got to be big because they've got to carry bombs. True. Right. They have Mm -hmm. to carry bombs. That's right. They have to. (laughs) Um, Politically speaking, it, it doesn't seem to have mattered. I think the first drone strikes were carried out by maybe the Bush administration. Actually, I'm pretty sure that's when that technology came around. And the way that each subsequent president has handled it, all of them have been met with scrutiny. I mean, Trump's wasn't a very good one. He um, he went back on Obama's policy where he, they actually reported like the number of people killed by a drone strike, whether it was civilians or soldiers, operatives, whatever. And then Trump was like, um, we're not going to do that anymore. It's, it gets in the way of the, the messaging of, that we're doing something positive. But yeah, well, of course it does. Because if you're killing innocent civilians, well, that could be considered not a good thing. For sure. And, you know, uh, so what we're, we're, this conversation is going to be, you know, certainly peppered with some research we did, but also, you know, relying kind of heavily on just having lived through the era of drone warfare for the last two decades Mm -hmm. since 9-11 basically right at least that's when we became aware of it i don't know when the first drone strikes were actually done but it's become a real big deal in the last 20 years right and um one of so there's this there's this guy named daniel hale who is uh currently charged with uh essentially what amounts to treason Right. He's being charged with. Uh, what is he actually being charged with? Yeah, I read the article you sent me about this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And basically the like Trump leak, administration he, he, that tried to hold him to the, his feet to the fire. And then when well, I have minute, a, Biden uh, just said, OK, let's continue with it. I have a feeling. His whistle. So this guy's a whistleblower, right? And he's being charged for having released state secrets as a whistleblower. So there's many, many aspects to this conversation that i'm interested in uh the concept of a whistleblower in the first place 
right? Um, Is it, isn't be... he a journalist though? Well, he was he was actually in the Air Force. He was an Air Force officer. He was conducting these. Uh, says in this New York Times article that he, he one of his responsibilities at Bagram Air Force Base was to monitor cell phone signals, and um, basically track down the signals and then send drones to monitor where that signal was coming from to determine whether that person might be an enemy combatant. And then ultimately, if they got the goods on that person, then send in a drone strike to take that person. And, you know, whoever was in an unfortunate hundred plus foot radius, a couple hundred foot radius, however big the bomb was, I guess, uh, out as well. And so he first began, uh, you know, I think he blew that whistle. I think he first started coming out um, with this information during Obama's second term. And one of the things he specifically complained about was that when a strike would occur, everybody that died would be be listed as an enemy combatant. And then the military, the Department of Defense would sort of do a postmortem, literally, on the situation. And if they found innocent civilians, then they might be reclassified later. Right. But like, it's kind of the same as when the New York Times publishes something ridiculous and then they do their BS contraction and it's too late. Everybody believes what they said the first time and they don't even see the retraction, right? You would mm -hmm. see these statistics on these successful airstrikes and that would sort of be the story. And then there would be this little whispered, you know, recording of, yeah, well, we actually took out a whole bunch of civilians and, you know, he makes the claim that there were many instances, it was often the case that 90%, nine out of 10 victims of one of these drone strikes would be, again, quote, an innocent civilian or someone who was not an enemy combatant. Mm -hmm. So he, he blew the whistle on this, to your point, didn't get charged for doing it, um, might have even been responsible for some, you know, tweaking to that process then. Well, then the Trump administration comes along and says, you know, parsing out all of this did we get the right guy and how many died and how many were the right guys that all those that died? That's a real big pain in the ass and it just leads to bad PR. So let's just not do that. Right. And we'll throw this dude in jail. Right. And to your point, well, he was blowing the whistle on Obama's bombing runs. So it's, you know, I, I guess it's interesting. Obama didn't choose to go after him. Trump did, but, but like you said, now Biden's maintaining it and it just paints the picture that at least since, you know, September 11th of 2001, it doesn't matter what party is in control of this country. These things are happening and it's worth having a conversation about, about, you know, about whether or not they should be, I guess is essentially my well, take. So let's keep it on the foreign side. First of all, after nine 11, you know, we went and, and we're just now seeing the effects of 20 years in Afghanistan, um, which I didn't tell you this, but I have two, Afghan vets lined up for next week's show. One of them lost his legs, and uh, we're going to get their take on what, how they feel about awesome, that. Awesome, dude. Good yeah. job. Um, Breaking but, news. But anyway, we've been on this offensive trying to keep our country safe because we were attacked on our own soil. And I, personally, I don't know that I have a real problem with that because I put America first. Now, do I want to see innocent civilians die? No, but, you know, what's the term collateral damage at the end of the day? 
I don't know. It's yeah, not I mean, a very, it's not a very it is, humanitarian yeah. thing to say, but whatever. I value American lives more than I value um, lives in Afghanistan, where there's a threat to America. So I'm not saying go kill all the civilians, but war is a nasty thing. And any general will tell you, yeah, collateral damage is just a part of the, the shit happens. And we just try to mitigate it as much as we can. But is that a pretty callous way to look at it? I mean, I don't know. Callous is pretty subjective. It's a brass tacks way of looking at it. It's certainly the way that the military industrial complex defends it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm glad that's the position you're taking. I thought that it would be because um, it'll oh, make for you know a, better, a better conversation. <laughs> um, we touched on this before we started recording, but you know, we, we, we first breached this subject in our review of 1984. Somewhere towards the end, and I, I tried to go back to my notes, I couldn't find the ex- exact page, but suffice it to say there, there's this notion towards the end, somewhere in the middle or you know, second half of 1984, where Orwell is explaining how you know, the, the Atlant- what is this place called, Atlantia or whatever? Oceana, the the o- Oceana, which is the socialist quote utopia based out of London that includes America in the book, is um, you know it's in this never the world is in this never ending war between three primary factions like Africa, your uh, East Asia or whatever, which includes Russia and China and everything, and then this combination of like the U.S. or the continental U.S. sorry North American continent and and England and anyway <clears throat> the. You know, the, 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 the battle lines always switch. One day they're, you know, partnered with the, the African country against Asia. And then the very next day it just flips and, no, you know, everybody just goes along with it. Kind of like how COVID information just changes and everybody just goes along with it. Um, but they, they basically perpetuate war by, you know, propaganda and, and antagonization, right? So it's like, okay, we're in this never-ending war. Um, and it's to protect uh, uh, Americans, right? Actually, that was probably the crux of it was this idea of protection, right? Mm-hmm. That if, if, a, if a government is telling you as its citizens that we're doing this to protect you, that's a very powerful argument and one that governments will often abuse for all kinds of nefarious ends, right? Um, but, you know, as the, as the citizen, you're like, the, oh, uh, they're trying to protect cigarettes. Us. We're trying to protect you. Yeah, well, okay. It, I mean, there, there's certainly a thread there that connects those two things, right? And it's like, how much protection are we willing, do we need, and how much freedom are, are we willing to give up, right? That That's even, that, on its face, that seems more obvious, right? This is like, well, we're taking this battle to this faraway place, and it's to protect us from, quote, a future terrorist attack, right? Mm-hmm. But then, so we're over there for the now the next 20 years, fully 20 years in three or four weeks, that this war's been going on. And if one thing has become abundantly clear in the last week, we were never going to win it. It doesn't appear that the goal was ever to win it. They've been promising in, you know, congressional hearings, they being, you know, the generals that have been running this ship. They've been promising for over a decade that the war is all but one, that we're on the brink of victory, right? Just saying it, how freaking you know, big brother, does it sound right? The victory is in our grasp. Right. And then right. five more years later, it's we're that's freaking close. Just send us more boots. Right. And literally we pull out and within 24 hours, all hell breaks loose mm-hmm. and people are 
are people are clinging to the landing gear of uh, you know cargo planes and falling to their deaths to try to get out of there and you know people are so, being executed so and their are wives we to blame are being for that or is the afghan people to blame for that for not being you know having the military to say hey let's stand up to this you know i mean like they have to have some level of blame as much as we do like if you don't want to live and be oppressed by the taliban then hey get a legit army together and do something about it well so i was listening to this guy named jimmy Dore earlier and uh he points out and you know he wouldn't be saying it the way he did if he didn't have the goods on it i'll have to try to track it down but that essentially if you go back to 2001 the bush administration basically asked the taliban they they they, they formally requested that the taliban surrender over uh, osama bin laden and his posse for 9-11 and what this guy jimmy claims is that the taliban's response was okay provide us some proof that he did what you said he did and we either wouldn't or we couldn't probably more like couldn't frankly but bush wouldn't provide it right and you know eventually got permission to basically invade i one of the defenses of what has happened for the last 20 years i saw it from ben shapiro who as anybody knows that listens to this i agree with most of the time but he puts out a you know a little tweet or whatever yesterday saying all of you who are claiming that we should have never been in the Afghanistan in the first place, you know, our soldiers have kept us safe by that war for the last 20 years. And that's just all there is to it. I mean, okay. So there hasn't been another world trade center attack in those 20 years, but does that definitively mean that we're quote safe, safe in the long run? Do we know for sure that all of that was necessary to keep us safe for the last 20 years? I don't necessarily buy that just because, it seems that way, you know, there hadn't been a 9-11 attack before, you know, they tried to attack the World Trade Center a decade earlier and it didn't really work. And then, you know, really before that, you'd have to go back to, you know, Pearl Harbor to find a, a comparable a attack on American soil. Right. But I can say, you know, if you're <laughs> try to put yourself in the shoes of an Afghani. You live in Afghanistan. A uh, dude. All right, you're fully aware that Osama bin Laden was armed and trained by United States, basically the CIA, back in the late '70s, or I guess really like the early '80s, to fight against Russian aggression in Afghanistan. We empowered Osama bin Laden to be a freedom fighter for Afghanistan against the Russians. And that came back to bite us when he decided to begin attacking the United States after they drove Russia out, right? Right. At the end of the day, that dude's a Saudi, first of all, right? He's, he's not even an Afghani, right? But, but there's, another, there's, there's one of... We did the same thing with Iran, right? In the 70s, the CIA created a uprising that led to the Iranian revolution, which ultimately led to the imposition of the Ayatollah and the regime that's in place today that makes Iran one of, you know, what Bush called the axis of evil and one of our sworn enemies. The government that we put in place is now an enemy of ours, right? 
Why do we think for one damn second that we won't see a similar course of, of history play out with this Afghanistan debacle? We invaded their country 20 years ago in pursuit of one individual we claim was responsible for a terrorist attack on our soil. We were going after one person. We invade their country. We overthrow their existing government. We implement our own government. We supposedly train over a quarter million of their citizens to be their new military. Like six years later, we actually get Osama bin Laden. Oh, by the way, in neighboring Pakistan, not even in Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. right? Where he had been at that point for years. And then yet we're there for 14 more years. When did we get Obama? Like two, no, I mean, that during, was, I think, during Obama's Biden. first term. I mean, I'm sorry, Obama. Oh, yeah. well, Biden I know, but I too. think it was during his, <laughs> but I, I think it was Biden's during been, his first Biden, term. I think if there's an was, underlying theme, Biden's always been there. I think it was like in his first or second year of office. So my point being, it was well over a decade ago. And yet we continued to stay there. We got the guy we went in to get. He wasn't there. We got him next door, but we got him. And then we continued war for the next well, 15 years. Let me ask you this. And, to be fair, like, what was Bush supposed to do? Like, I, don't th- I, I think you have to. Okay. Thousands of Americans died. We have to do something. Or you look like a little bitch to your entire country. And, and everybody wanted us to go to war with them. Well, I've always, so hold on. I've always maintained that it seemed, from what we were told, going into Afghanistan after Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda terrorists seemed justified at the time. Mm-hmm. Iraq did not. Would we agree on that? Yeah, I would say so. We invaded Iraq based on an old beef that W had with Saddam Hussein for, you know, the beef that his dad had with Saddam Hussein, right? Okay, but he we openly admitted it. mustard gas on the Kurds and, you know, he was really into genocide so is okay that a humanitarian move or I, it's not the same comparison because we're going is it, is it our job is it our job to be the world police well we've is, is made it our job one. over the last i don't think it years. should be yeah, right but i don't think it should be i, I don't think it you. should be and i think it's counterproductive the point i'm trying to make is this never ends yeah this never ever ever ends man in any of those places we're talking about countries that had civilization before Westerners, before civilization was even a term, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Iraq was, that's where um, Samaria is located, right? Mm-hmm. Like you go back literally prehistoric times, there were huge civilizations in this part of the world. And despite that, there's still like more or less just some of them, Afghanistan in particular, it's like a barbarian wasteland, man. Look at what they're doing to human beings over there, right? Look at what they're doing to women and children over there. Look up the fact that on American military bases, young boys were being escorted around by Afghani military as their sex toys. And American soldiers weren't allowed to say anything in in any way object to it. Did you know about that? Uh -uh. You need to look at that. Look that shit up, man. We were basically harboring gay pedophilia at like Bagram Air Force Base. I may be off on the specifics about which bases and whatnot, but sounds like that's another thing I just just learned about, right? Yeah. My my point is we spent 20 years there, untold trillions of dollars, 
many, many thousands of American lives, right? And within 24 hours of pulling out, the thing is a complete abortion. Mm-hmm. And, and what did we do along the way? Well, just like 1984 let's, let's says, assume. though, war is good. You know, war is good for morale. So, <laughs> right? I mean, that what the, the theme it's of definitely good for the, the military industrial complex. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, dude, my, my, we, we've done this so many times, man. We did it. We did it in Cambodia. We did it in Iran. We've Vietnam. done it in Afghanistan twice now, twice in Afghanistan, Vietnam, uh, Korea. Right. Mm-hmm. We go in and we try to implement an American friendly government in a place that's never had a, a true representative democracy and we kind of prop it up for a little while and then we bail and the thing implodes on itself or the very government we installed decides to become our enemy and then some date at a you know later on we come back around and get to either spy on those guys or send covert operations into their country or flat out invade them like we did in afghanistan right only to then have it all happen again one of the longest standing criticisms and one i've always held of our all of our presence in the middle east is but let's assume this guy daniel hale is is correct that oftentimes nine out of ten of the of of the you know victims of a targeted drone strike were actually civilians that's a lot of. let's assume it's half of them let's not even assume it's nine out of ten let's assume it's half of them Mm -hmm. right if you're the cousin or nephew or brother or father son of one of the people who got caught in that crossfire and then a Taliban militant comes along and says you want to help us get rid of these sons of bitches that killed your uncle let me I'm trying let me see if I can put it the, the best way. I get it it's a when, very strong rallying point hey they killed your family Come damn right us. it's Screw this the exact same as when they came and attacked us on 9-11 how many of our peers who had no intention of joining the military signed right up in response a lot, right? I have two of them on next week. You invade a country on the other side of the planet and you spend two decades there engaging in bloodshed. You're creating more enemies. That's just all there is to it. I a hundred percent agree. Unless you somehow wholesale replace their entire culture. Right. Which would just harbor more resentment from them. Some of them. Right. Some of them might come along willingly, but many, many, many of them won't. Another thing I I heard, right, is just how many instances this is regarding all of these refugees coming here. The number of what they called basically like friendly fire attacks, Afghan soldiers attacking American soldiers, the people who we were supposed to be there supporting and, you know, I'm talking about the actual government we put in place, their own military taking violent action against our military in what was considered quote friendly fire activities but it was basically internal terrorism so even the guys we were supposedly winning the hearts and minds of didn't necessarily stay on our side throughout that whole process right Mm -hmm. let alone the guys that we didn't track or couldn't follow right and meanwhile in the background of all that we're creating this by any means necessary mentality right 9-11 shook america and americans to our very core we all remember where we were we all remember how we felt right 
So we've spent the last 20 years righteously defending the idea that we needed to, under the Bush doctrine, preemptively strike any place that was harboring a potential terrorist that could harm U.S. interests, right? Mm -hmm. So we would go take them out through a drone strike before they'd even done anything, right? Fast forward to where we are today, and you've got the United States government calling Trump supporters, anti-vaxxers, people who showed up in D.C. on January 6th, calling all of those people enemies of the state, domestic terrorists, and advocating on CNN every night to put them on watch lists. The people who have been arrested as part of the January 6th, you know, capital riot, invasion, whatever you want to call it, those people are in jail currently. No charges have been brought, and there are no court dates set. The earliest court dates for those people are in 2022. So they're being held seem like just a, the same. To be detained like that with no like idea of your It's not due like, process, dude. It's yeah. unconstitutional. 100%. Yeah. It's unconstitutional. What they are doing is by, I mean, is, it is by, by definition, it is a lot, it is not, it is outside of American due process. But we have precedent for that. What did we do to enemy combatants for the last 20 years from outside of our borders? We stuck them in Gitmo and held them there, some of them for years and decades with no evidence against that specific individual, with no charges ever being brought against that specific individual, right? And the defense from Bush through Obama was always, yeah, well, they're not American citizens, so we don't owe them due process. But what we're seeing now is, yeah, they may be American citizens, but uh, they're enemy, they're, but they're, they're, they're domestic terrorists, so we don't owe them due process. And the bridge between those two things was the gentleman, gentleman's the wrong word, but the individual that Obama took out with a drone strike, strike in Iraq, who was, who was an American citizen. I don't remember right. the dude's name, but there was some American citizen who was radicalized online by Al Qaeda. So he fled the U.S. and joined their ranks. And we, we he was the specific target of this drone strike. Now, you may say, OK, he was a fucking traitor, right? He bailed on the U.S. and he joined our enemies. So he no longer was afforded due process. But you can see it's no different than the slippery slope argument that a Second Amendment advocate would argue. Right. It started with. Enemy combatants, we can detain indefinitely for as long as we possibly want without even any evidence to bring a charge on, let alone without an actual charge in Gitmo. Oh, now we can drone strike an American citizen because he you know, joined up with the, with the enemy to now where we're at. Oh, the enemy are actually the citizens and they're inside the country and they're not going I, anywhere. I see so we the parallel that you're drawing. If we could drone strike that guy who was an American citizen, then why couldn't we do it here domestically? But the guy was a turncoat and joined up with a anti-American group. I don't know if he was a, like had any like leadership or any any pull with them. That would have to be you know way heavy into the conversation of whether this killing this American citizen is you know worth it or not. But if if, if he you know if he was just another terrorist and we knew where he was and we're engaged so in this in this war, then you know I don't whatever. But, but but my point is like, if you have principles that you're willing to bend on a case by case basis, 
do you do you want to turn that authority to decide when we uphold principles and when we choose to ignore them over to your political enemies in this country at this moment in time no right you either have rules that you don't violate and a code of conduct and a code of ethics that you maintain regardless of the circumstances here's another way of putting it let's say you watched a man physically assaulting a woman intending to rape her and you broke it up and that guy gets charged with you know, assault and attempted rape. Do you think he should go straight to jail for life? Or do you think he should go to trial and have an attorney represent him? Obviously and have his day in court, despite having seen it firsthand. Well, it's due process. That's a principle that every American citizen should uphold no matter what. But we saw with say like Kavanaugh, half the country was more than ready to abandon anything close to due process with him. Right now, that wasn't criminal proceedings, and that becomes quite technical and blah 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 blah. But he was basically being a whole bunch of nonsensical, decades-old allegations were cast at him, and they were saying that should keep him from being a Supreme Court justice, despite despite passing background tests many many times mm-hmm. throughout his career as a justice in our appellate system. We. If you, if you can justify a bridging, breaching, breaking constitutional norms, then there's, there's no end to where you can continue to push that boundary. Have we gone too far down the road already? Like as as American society, is that something we could ever get back? I don't know. I, I think once you have lost these things, they're gone, which is why it's so scary. I, I, I agree that it's That's why it's terrifying for sure. I'm always an optimist and believe that if Americans, all of us, would pull our heads out of our butts and pay attention to what matters and what's important in this world and pay less attention to Hollywood and, you know, uh, sports, frankly, and pay a little bit more attention to, you know, our government's actions, both, you know, domestic and abroad, we could turn the tide on this. I'll say this. I've heard some conservatives that actually that are anti-war conservatives praise biden for his decision to do this regardless of the now you know clearly sort of tragic outcome of it not sort of tragic outcome of it because at least he was willing to acknowledge out loud americans americans have shown they're not interested in continuing this never-ending war and occupation and so we're ending it and You know, let, 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 let's just believe him when he says that, that his primary motivation was everybody's sick and tired of the Afghanistan war. Those of us who've even been you know, paying attention enough to realize it was still going on. How many Americans do you think out there don't even know that it was still going on? But if, if everybody became aware of it and if everybody would say, you know, these principles are unbreakable, unbreachable. It goes down. It, it is related to COVID in in this way. To do that would require American citizens to be willing to accept a certain amount of risk to their safety, right? Because what yeah. we've been told for twenty years is we have to do this to keep y'all safe. Which, it, to be fair, and those of us who safe. think that's safe from domestic, uh, ter- I mean, I mean from from foreign terrorism, maybe, but maybe at the cost of. Now they're in power. Future terrorism. Right. 
from right. our own. Maybe, our own maybe they kicked the can down the road for 20 years. But but you don't but, see us getting like subways bombed like in Spain and in these other like Turkey and these other places. I mean, it's just not happening here. Our, our domestic terrorists are are lunatics that are mentally ill and start shooting places up. And we see plenty of that, but we don't have these huge bombings. And yeah, like you see in a lot of Europe and the Middle East. Not since 9-11. Right. Not since 9-11. There's been a couple of instances, and they were, to your point, domestic. Um, even a few of them that were Muslim radicals, they were still American citizens who did those things. I'm thinking of that gay nightclub in Florida in particular. But I so so they so I guess the question is, do we occupy countries like Afghanistan for the rest of time? In because it to what I'm hearing is if we hadn't gone to Afghanistan, we can safely assume that we would have faced additional terrorist attacks on our soil and the fact that we were there and in Iraq and that we've created this global war on terror where we spy on everybody through their cell phones and social media exchanges right and we pick people off you know as soon as they start to get a little sideways and the things that they put out on the internet that that's what's keeping us safe so what i'm getting at is i'd say that if that's what it took to keep us safe for 20 20 years and now we've decided to pull out from that. What keeps us safe for the next 20 years? Nothing. Right. And, in, and my argument is what we did during that 20 years was just so more discord that will ultimately lead to future terrorist attacks, which will ultimately lead to future retaliation. It's a vicious cycle. And, I, and like you just said, I don't, I, there's no way out of it at this point unless they just attack us and we just kind of turn the other cheek. Which we're not going to do. So, well, okay. So I would say this. Let, let, I, let would, me go. Um, I would rather, looking looking back on it, uh, twenty years later, as a when I was twenty years old when it happened, and I was all fired up. Go America, proud of our troops. Go over there and kick some ass. You know, make this right. But you don't know at the time that it's going to be a 20 year investment and how many people are going to lose their lives. And then at the end of the day, you're going to have nothing to show for it. Nothing's changed. We didn't, we didn't know at the time. Do you think for, do you honestly believe for one second that the bureaucrats and brass and spooks, et cetera, that make up our department of defense and our Intelligence. uh, intelligence agencies do you think they didn't realize that this would be a 20-year effort that would ultimately be a failure? They probably hoped that it wouldn't be, but they already have a track record with other, you know, Vietnam. This is the same deal. Uh, right. Yeah, it was an epic with failure. everything we've done since World War II. Everything we've done since World War II has resulted in this exact type of scenario, right? Yeah. Look what, the, look what Clinton and Obama did to Lebanon. They have open slave markets in Lebanon now after we took out uh, Omar Gaddafi. Omar Gaddafi. They're selling. You can you can look online of a like like a live freaking feed right now, of a slave market in Lebanon. That's because we took out a bad guy there. Yeah, that wasn't happening before that. So no, at right? twenty years later, it probably wasn't worth it. I think I think we should have, we have a concerted effort to kill Bin Laden and then move on with our lives. Would we even have 
terrorist enemy combatants in the Middle East, if it hadn't been for our role in the Iranian revolution, if it hadn't been for our promotion of an Israeli state, if it hadn't been, you know, for our invasion into Iraq in the 90s and then invasion into Afghanistan and Iraq in the early 2000s, and probably, dude, dozens of other covert operations that only the people over there know about and that the average American has no freaking clue about. Would we have terrorists over there? What would they be mad at us for if we would just keep to ourselves and stay inside our own borders and protect our citizens from within the United States? Yeah, I don't know well, that we would. I, I think the more, the more civilians I, earlier, I, so I'm coming around on this because I said earlier, eh, the cost of killing civilians is that's just the price of doing more. But that has to be the number one driving force for people to hate America when you killed right their family or their friend or, you know, whatever. Why would they give they're, a or damn you've blown about up their us. work? Well, it doesn't even have to be a person that was, you know, their business got blown up. Yep. Any of that stuff would make someone hate it, the, hate the country responsible for it. So exactly. I don't, I, I guess my answer at the end of the day is there's no, there's no good answer. Like we couldn't sit here after we were attacked and just be like, Oh, well, that sucks. Hope, hope you don't do it again. At the same time, there, it doesn't seem like there was an, an outcome that was going to benefit the United States from a standpoint of, you know, protecting us from future attacks um, and future hatred from, from these cultures. So I don't know. There's no I mean, answer. again, I'll point out that, that the 9-11 attack, if it was in fact Osama bin Laden's and Osama bin Laden himself and and, and his crew that well, orchestrated he for it. it. That's fine. But I mean, every time there's a terrorist attack, there's half a dozen terrorist organizations that take credit for it, right? L let me rephrase it. Osama did it. His crew did it. He was our guy. Yeah. We literally created, funded and armed and trained that particular attacker so you can say very explicitly that american involvement in far middle eastern politics led to 9 11 mm -hmm. which led to the afghanistan wars undoubtedly will lead to more radicals in the coming decades that were in one way or another victimized, subject to violence, et cetera, for what we've been doing there all this time. So where do you draw the line? It's just, it's just as, is what it is. As a humanitarian, when should the United States get involved? If, is, is it when there's genocide? Is it when women are systematically raped by the men of a culture nonstop? Like what? Well, let me to I'm that. Let me say, so you know that's what my happening. answer would be. I don't. You know what? Don't get involved. That's their own. That's their problem. Let them sort it out. But that's again a very callous way of putting it. But at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm concerned about America. Number one, I'm putting America first. Ten times out of ten, America first. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm a proud American. It's the greatest country in the world for a reason. And we've the fact that we have lost that sense of American pride. Is why we're why we are where we are with society. A bunch of little bitches. We're raising dudes who think they're girls, and vice versa. And you can have your own pronoun. You can you can call yourself a fucking cat one day if you want to. Whatever you want to do. Everyone gets a trophy. You don't. You know what? You get a safe space here. I'm sorry. Did that offend you? Well, you're canceled. That's that's 
If we had that sense of national pride, I guarantee you a lot of that shit would not be going on. Yeah, I think I would agree um, with that last point. I would say that what should we do about humanitarian crises? If you take a look at the actions of the United States military industrial complex over the last 50 years at least, <clears throat> how many humanitarian crises have we ignored when we had nothing to gain by going and helping? Probably a lot. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. There's a reason why China, Russia, and the United States have sort of battled about Afghanistan for as long as we have. There's a couple of reasons. The first is that the country of, of Afghanistan controls over 90% of the global poppy trade. 90 plus percent of all morphine products, mm -hmm. whether those are legal pharmaceuticals or illegal heroin, comes from Afghani poppies. It's also been known for many decades that it sits on top of one of the most dense and richest collections of rare earth minerals on the globe. Nobody on earth will be able to convince me that those two factors were not at equal to and probably more important in our invasion of Afghanistan and subsequent two decades of trying to hold Afghanistan as retribution for 9-11. Those, those are just real facts, right? I agree and it's the you. same thing in the Middle East with Iraq and Iran, right? 90-something percent of the world's oil flows through the Strait of Hormuz. Maybe it's not 90, but it's a gigantic sum. Meanwhile, you know, women and little girls are being sold as sex slaves in Nigeria and places all over Africa. You know, North Korea is the worst humanitarian nightmare on the planet as we speak. If you look at a Google, at a satellite image of East Asia at nighttime, North Korea is the only place on the globe that there's no light. People are starved deliberately to keep them at bay. What's happening with the Uyghurs in China, right? Of course, those latter two examples, the main reason that we have nothing to gain is that we'd have to go to war with China to solve either one of those problems, and that's something that nobody's interested in, right? I, but, I am alarmed that as soon as the Kabul uh, fell that the Chinese are already, you know, interacting with the Taliban. Right. Of course they are. Mm -hmm. that's, We're that's out. That's concerning. And now there's a vacuum there. And they want their hands on those rare earth minerals just as much as we did. Yeah. That's the only part that doesn't, I can't figure out is why we bailed in the first place when my assumption is that it was about the minerals to start with. Um, maybe we have some other way to go about getting them. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. But I have a couple of other very related concepts. The... The, the concept, again, of, of just the drone part. We got way, out, way afield from the drone part. Let's assume that any of our movements over there are justified because of 9-11 or, or whatever reason you want to come up with. The second level question about whether it's even worth being there or not is, are drone strikes a ethical way of going about conducting modern warfare? I 
I do not think that uh, the answer is going to matter because they're here. They're not going to. Yeah. We're not going to just be like, oh, oh we're going to play more fair and stop using drones. Sorry. It's giving us an unfair advantage. The whole point of warfare is to use every advantage to um, subdue your enemy. And drones do that effectively with the realization that, yeah, civilians die too. So, but, but see, what you just said isn't even really the case, right? Because there has always been international laws, agreements, understandings about how war would be conducted, right? You can go back to ancient battles where it was two, you know, shield walls marching against each other and they would clash and they would, you know, bleed the field red, right? But then there was always this understanding of how prisoners were exchanged, right? There were always these, there was, a, there was protocol, um, rules of engagement, right? You knew that when, you know, it was getting, when the, when the kind of main fighting was over, that everybody would be left to go collect the dead and yeah. find the wounded, right? People weren't getting, you know, picked off as they went about trying to help wounded people. Both sides would be tending to their wounded in the very same battlefield where just moments earlier, absolute chaos had been going on, right? So there have always been rules, rules of engagement. engagement. Yeah. And are you familiar with the book, The Art of War? Uh, yeah, I know the book. The Art of War is a, is a several, it's a several thousand year old book by a Chinese uh, military strategist named Sun Tzu. And like anything else that's ancient like that, there's so much wisdom there. It just goes to show there is nothing new under the sun, right? We may have fancier gadgets today than they did 2000 years ago. But the primary drivers for why you would go to war and the resources necessary to conduct a war and the morale and public support necessary to conduct a war were all the same. So he points out, and I think anybody who's being open-minded and fair about it would point out that war is tremendously costly and it should be because it should never be something that you can just go about lightly, right? The people who make the decision to send America into war need to be willing to carry that burden with them till the day they die, right? The decision to send American soldiers into, into harm's way, the decision to send American treasure to be spent on war, all of that should have the most, they should be the most weighty, important decisions that those humans ever have to make. So <clears throat> what we have now is warfare being conducted at almost no cost to America itself, to the Department of Defense, and obviously even to American citizens, because it's not happening here. It's happening in places that most Americans, the vast majority of Americans will never even visit or even want to. Right. So nobody here, like I said, I would love to see somebody like, you know, Jesse Waters on, you know, man on the street poll of people wonder asking, do you know if, you know, if it had been two weeks ago, do you know if we're still fighting in Afghanistan or not? Because I bet it would be shocking how many Americans were oblivious to the fact that we were even still there. Hmm. Right. That's not For good. Sure. No, it's not good that we're fighting wars. And we have covert operations going on and all this shit that the average American doesn't know about. And 
Sun Tzu points out that certainly at that time, it was crucial that the civilians, that the citizens of the city-state or the nation that was going to war supported the war effort. Because as soon as the citizens soured on it, because too many of their fathers and brothers had died and they were being forced to pay too many taxes to support the war effort, right? As soon as all that amounted to a turning of negative morale within the citizenry, they would lose. Because as soon as the soldiers realized that their, their loved ones didn't support what they were doing, their spirit would be broken, right? That's what happened in yeah. Vietnam, right? Well, do you think the government it, that has taken, like, let's just say, like, all this surveillance um, with our phones, you know, wire ta- tapping, all that stuff, and drones are just the modern technology, they're not going to turn around and just say, oh, yeah, we're not going to, like, the Patriot Act, we'll, we're just going to go ahead and do away with the Patriot. No, even worse, they're expanding it. Yeah, yeah, they're they're using it. And by the way, we're also no longer going to use drones, this amazing technology that we have at our fingertips. We're going to get rid of that too. No, it's not going to happen. Now, based off what you're saying in this book and the rules of engagement, okay, drones might seem like cheating, but I don't see it going back the opposite direction. Uh, that, That is my point. To a large extent, it's cheating because it's, Literally, no some, humans are getting sacrificed on our end. Some, you know, spectrumy gamer in, again, you know, Colorado Springs is flying those devices, dropping those bombs like it's a video game, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the American government gets to crow about how this beautiful technology means fewer and fewer Americans are lost. Which just means that we can just keep fighting this thing forever. Because guess what, y'all? It's just money. And who gives a shit about the money? We'll just print God, more of the dude, money. It sounds like so much like 1984. Let's just keep fighting. It is, man. In perpetuity. Forever. That's what Dwight Eisenhower was warning about in 1961 when he said, don't let the military industrial complex convince you that we have to fight never ending wars. They have a financial interest in doing this. And thanks to drone strikes, they no longer have legitimate stakes in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Department of Defense, you want us to support your war forever? You guys need to bear a legitimate burden for it. Not be able to do it covertly through these strikes, right? And to your point, can we go back? Doesn't seem like it. It seems pretty clear that we're only a couple of decades tops away from war being carried out like scenes from the Terminator movie. Right? Yeah. Where it's literally, I mean, they're, they're working on that kind of stuff all the time. Actual robots, which is essentially, you know, Dude, to some extent what it is. But uh, to be fair, right? and while that's extremely terrifying, hopefully I'll be dead before that happens, but terrifying for our kids. Uh, China's doing the same thing. So what are we going to do? Just let, oh yeah, we'll let China build up a mega army of robots and we'll just sit on our ass. I mean, China's a real threat. And you, you know how you and I have talked about China on this show. Fuck China. 
Yeah, I'll have to and I guarantee that. you they are doing that. And guess what? They have four times as many people there to build the damn things too. So I, I admit I'm making an idealist argument, idealistic argument, right? Mm-hmm. But again, if America is not willing to hold itself to certain standards and our excuse is, well, we have to do this because they're doing this, then how are we any better or more moral or more righteous than them? No, you're not. We're not, right? And to Trump's credit, he said that in whatever interview, I think it was with um, Hannity back when he was running the first go around when he said, when, you know, when he had compared us to Russia and Hannity's like, we're not like Russia. They kill their, and he was like, yeah, we do that stuff too. <laughs> this whole, you know, moral equivalency, equivalency thing. He just sort of dismissed it as like, yeah, you think America's got no blood on their hands is completely innocent from these sorts of things. We take people out all the time. Clearly we do. We have an entire covert drone strike operation for taking out targeted assassin, you know, for carrying out targeted assassinations. I don't and know. to your point, like, okay, so we stand down and we let China amass, you know, an army of robotic super soldiers, <sighs> you know, um, I mean, I guess I'm not sitting here saying we don't continue to develop technologies, but when those technologies are the primary means for our imperialism, it's not like we're building those technologies just to be in, you know, prepared if and when China sends you know, boats to our shores. We're building those things, and then now we're using them as the primary w- methods by which we carry out these wars. Well, there's certainly, I mean, you know, there's a problem with that for sure. Yeah, but we're too far down the rabbit hole. So, how do we, as a country, I, I, that's the. I mean, it's a great philosophical question, and one that you would think integrity and I mean, you would think integrity would have something to do with it or some standard by which we hold ourselves to would come into play. But I just don't think that that's reality. And maybe that's just a terrible way to look at our society. But God, look, what has our society taught me over the last two years to give it to give me any hope for like the human condition in America right now? So I think what I'm getting at is that I'm pretty I'm you're, you're just too positive. I'm looking at it like a hopeless like. I feel I look at my kids every day. I'm like, God, y'all are so screwed, but we'll keep fighting. We will. We'll, well, keep well about it. so well, and that's all we can do, right? All we can do is try to get people aware of some of these things and maybe thinking about them in ways that we have been, we've been groomed as a society to think about these wars over there in a certain way. Right. And just accept pretty things much out of mind, as, out of sight. It's mostly out of mind and out of sight. And to the extent that we do think about it, we're all convinced this is all for our safety. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, you can, dude, if you're, <laughs> if you're paying attention to American media right now, you will see organization after organization after organization who spent the last 20 years questioning our presence in Afghanistan, losing their shit over Biden's decision to withdraw. I mean, oh, I've yeah. been listening to conservatives who have been advocating all over the board, right? And we have talked repeatedly on these calls about the role that the intelligence agencies play in American information. Every one of those news organizations I'm talking about gets funding and privileges 
from the CIA, the NSA, et cetera, to promote a certain message. There's a reason they're all in lockstep, making this look bad. They've got the entire American population convinced that ending that never-ending, useless fucking war was the worst thing that could have ever happened. Everybody's convinced of it now. Yet what good have we done there in the last decade? Mm, uh, nothing. Right. Nothing. Clearly nothing, because 24 hours after we withdraw, the whole thing imploded. And all we ended up doing was arming, arming to the teeth. Did you know they got two Apache helicopters? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows how many guns? I saw images of just stashes of all kinds of rifles and shit that it's like, oh, here you go. When those helicopters went down on the, on the Osama bin Laden raid, they had to blow the one that crashed up so that with a, you know, with a, the, 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 the craft was actually outfitted with a self-detonation device to, to make sure the technology didn't fall into enemy hands. Two Apaches just get jacked when the Afghani military just lays down their arms. And that might away. come back to bite right? us in the ass if China and Russia get that technology. It's like, here you go. Which, Which I'm you, sure, do you know what? They probably already have it. Probably so. That's what the Chinese were doing there. Hey, give me that. Let me, let's take a look at that helicopter real quick. But getting back to what can be done about it now, the only thing that can be done about it is that Americans educate themselves on the matter and make their opinions heard and do their best to avoid doublethink, right? Which is the idea of having two completely contradictory ideas in your head at the same time, mm. right? And just demand that it stop. Is that, again, idealistic and borderline hopeless? M maybe so. But nobody even knows about utopia. this story. I do. I want to live in your utopia. <laughs> no, like nobody, nice even knows, nobody even knows about this story, right? No. And that, that's, a, that's a huge problem. It goes, I know what I, I wanted to tie this to the idea of a whistleblower, right? This dude is going looks like to jail for four years for having blown the whistle on this is what the intercept who broke the story uh says his crimes were oh i guess he's been convicted already yeah he's been convicted of revealing that at times nearly nine out of ten people killed in targeted strikes by the u.s are not the intended targets Exposing the complicity of top U.S. government officials in a secret kill chain that decides who should be assassinated by drone strike. So in other words, you know, there's this entire infrastructure for deciding whose head we're going to chop off next. Right. Mm -hmm. Exposing that the U.S. government officially labels unknown people it kills as, quote, enemies killed in action unless they are posthumously proven to have been civilians. So that's the idea that everybody gets classified initially as an enemy combatant. And if somehow through dental records, they're proved to have been an innocent civilian, you think that ever freaking gets checked? Right. Then they get taken off the list, right? Exposing the secret watch listing rule book used to label people, including U.S. citizens, as, quote, known or suspected terror terrorists without evidence that they did anything wrong. Those are what this guy has been charged with. That's what he's blown the whistle on. Is that something that an American should go to jail for? No, absolutely not. You mentioned um, where, where they could like change the numbers on the dental records. I just am looking. I've pulled out some stats on the drone war in Pakistan. Um, the most recent strike was 2018. But 
to give you an idea, recorded, we have 414 strikes. And we are reporting between 245 and 300 civilian deaths compared to 2,500 to 3,700 total deaths. So what they're reporting is uh, 10% civilian casualty and 90% combatant mortality. So it's the exact opposite of what he's saying. Well, if you read the article, he says in certain instances. No, I'm I'm saying would, you. I'm saying those numbers are probably fudged. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like those numbers that I just read to you, and that you can look at the stats in Yemen, Pakistan, um, Afghanistan, all of those places. They have they have the same information available, but it looks like we are fudging the numbers to support the drone strikes. Whereas this guy's saying, hey, in reality. Fauci's yeah, well, again, he's been lying if, to you. <laughs> if there, if the, if the protocol was everybody's an enemy combatant until proven otherwise, and oh, but too bad they're already effing dead, then yeah, of course those numbers aren't legitimate. Right, right. I won't go so far as to support the idea that ninety percent. Again, it, it did say like certain drone strikes would result in ninety percent civilian casualties. So he wasn't ever claiming that that was like the standard ratio. Mm-hmm. But you know, even for them to be acknowledging ten percent, to your point. Anybody who believes that they've only managed to keep a cap of 10% civilian casualties on this is, you know. Yeah. And, and, and let's say it was you can 100%. go to the uh, New American, the New American, New, Amer- New America. It's a site for America's counterterrorism wars, and they have the stats for all of our uh, drone strikes. Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Pakistan, Afghanistan, they have it all there. So if you want to use that resource, so- you can. On, the, on this concept of the whistleblower, right? Um, Julian Assange, I think by and large, especially by Red America, is considered uh, an enemy of the United States, right? And um, what was his collaborator's name, the actual American guy from WikiLeaks? Um, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, that guy's had to hide from the U.S. for going on 20 years now for exposing the fact that American military operations were producing war crimes right that we were using torture methods all these things that should not be okay i know what the premise in that 1984 was and it's it's this concept i'm trying to very badly to articulate that you know like with specifically what we talked about when we did the 1984 recap your position was waterboarding led to actionable intelligence that helped produce you know prevent uh, uh, other terrorist attacks my position would be, first of all, that's what they told us, mm-hmm. right? And I don't have any reason to believe a single effing thing the government tells me ever. Everything that comes out of the government is a 50-50 proposition at best as far as I'm concerned, right? But that's what they claim. We stopped all these terrorist attacks that would have for sure killed all y'all if it weren't for us doing this waterboarding, right? Right. But again, the point is, if we're willing to waterboard, what does that give the green light to our enemies to do? Anything they want, right? That's why we see guys. Well, they may have done that anyway. But if yeah, we're not willing to hold, but if we're not willing to hold a moral high ground, then we don't have a moral high ground, and it's just violent chaos, right? True story. <clears throat> they so so they did that. This guy exposes it. It was not a legal thing for us to be doing, which is why it was stopped once it was exposed, right? They didn't keep doing it and say, oh, this guy is just, 
you know, talking at a class and this was just fine. And it was all perfectly in cahoots with the Geneva convention. Right. It wasn't, they had to stop doing it. And the world wouldn't know about those things if it wasn't for Assange and what's his name. Right. The world wouldn't know about this, you know, high level of civilian casualties if it wasn't for this guy, Daniel Hale. And all three of those individuals are either currently in jail or, you know, they're in hiding in Russia as, you know, political uh, refugees, basically. Because if they come back to the United States, they go to jail. So what we get is a scripted narrative from our media, including the left-wing media, that's supposed to be anti-war, right? That we have to continue conducting these operations. We have to continue these overseas occupations. When we decide to bail, all hell breaks loose. And how bad is Biden and Trump before him for even suggesting that we pull out? And the people who have the balls to step up and say, here's how we're going about this to educate the American people, which might actually convince the American people that the risk of terror is not worth selling our souls over. Right. Those guys get silenced and go to prison. So all we get is the scripted narrative about it. Yeah. Anybody who challenges that gets silenced. What does that sound like? Every political conversation being had in America today. It is interesting right? to me that you have two presidents on polar opposite ends of the spectrum, both of them agreeing on, we need to get the hell out of Afghanistan. Trump started going that direction. There's a quote from him in 2013 I read that says, we, we don't belong in Afghanistan anymore. We need, to, we need to withdraw quickly. If we have to go back, we will act swiftly and violently, basically is what he said. Right. But that was in 2013. So Well, and I think it was either last summer or maybe it was the summer of 19. He went off the handle like he does and said, we're going we're gonna to withdraw from Afghanistan in 60 days. And before the end of the day, he had to recant that because the Joint Chiefs talked him out of it. The Joint Chiefs, Chiefs and the intelligence agencies told him you can't do that. And he's, he has another statement at that time where he said, I would pull us out tomorrow, but the chaos that would ensue, they basically, they knew full well that this is exactly what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I think he said within 30 days, uh, Kabul would fall and, you know, the Taliban would be back in power. And the only mark they missed was that it only took a day. Do you think that it's better for looking at it from the perspective of someone who wants a conservative back in the Oval Office? Do you think it's better that this happened under Biden's watch instead of Trump? I mean, from a, uh, yeah, from a, like I always say, sort of bare knuckles politics standpoint. Um, yeah, I don't think this is going to help Biden any. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it sort of supports the notion that he's incompetent. Um, CNN and MSNBC sure are not doing him any favors. Like you mentioned earlier, shit, they're blasting him. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you know, who CNN's favorite commenter on all things security is, is Jake Clapper. Mm -hmm. No, not Jake, Jim Clapper, whatever Clapper, who was, Clapper. I think secretary of defense. What was he? No, he was chief of the CIA under Obama. 
he's the one that wants to that has been advocating since before January 6th that we should be monitoring conservatives in this country. Oh, even libertarians. He's now advocating that if anybody identifies themselves as a libertarian, they're an enemy of the state. Right. So it's no surprise that CNN is propping up never ending war. They profit from it. They do. Right. And all their sources, man, all the people in D.C., they're there to prop this shit up. This is how they make their bread. It'd be a breath talking- of fresh air for politicians that actually care about the citizens of this country to be doing what we elected them to do. There's a great there, there's a great segue to a point I wanted to make a minute ago. We spend I want to say I don't want to just like grossly overstate it, but I want to say that the annual defense budget is upwards of 300 billion dollars to fight wars all over the planet. Meanwhile, you have places like South Chicago, uh, the Ninth Ward, Baltimore, Maryland, right? Places in the uh, the Appalachia, all the poor souls addicted to meth in, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee, West Virginia. We send all this money overseas. We send a comparable amount of money in humanitarian aid overseas. What in the hell are we doing inside our own borders to help um, American citizens in their day-to-day lives that's legitimate and that's working? Not a How damn thing. How many factories could you build with 300 and some change billion dollars? Exactly. To, you want to create infrastructure? Hey, here, let's try this. There. Uh, I mean, and that this is all, dude, all of these things are just like parallels of the same basic problem, right? Look at these stimulus packages. Every time one of these effing stimulus packages has been promoted since the one that Obama did, 95% of the money, the trillions in spending goes directly to banks and Wall Street, mm-hmm. right? You, you see people, CEOs of businesses that were going bankrupt. That we're losing their ass. We sign these stimulus checks and the whole board gets $20 million bonuses. When they had run their companies to the brink of disaster in the entire global economy with it. That's where the stimulus check goes. And then they give out, you know, 1200 bucks to the average American family in a multi-trillion dollar stimulus package. It's, It's bullshit, man. All of it. Yeah, it's it is special interests that control everything that our government do is doing. And one of the biggest, most powerful special interests there is, is what we collectively refer to as the military industrial complex. Hmm. That's all there is to it. Well, it's certainly if you're, been an interesting conversation. Yeah, I mean, uh, one that's made made me think out loud. So. Yeah, I mean, if if you're Raytheon and you make missiles, bombs for drone attacks, how do you make money if we're not dropping bombs on people? You have to build something else. Right. You'd have to build something else. But you're already tooled up to make bombs. 
It's just way Sorry, easier. Bomb, just bomb business isn't doing so great these go. days. Raytheon, here, uh, retool your machinery and do something else. Just like but see, but see, but Raytheon during World War II. Raytheon they did it the opposite way. They started building bombs and guns and grenades. Well, and that's that's the genesis of a lot of this stuff, right? Yeah. A lot of this stuff goes back to then. That's what Eisenhower was specifically talking about, was that the ramp up of American production of these, you know, weapons of destruction, uh, it, had, it was a beast that had to keep being fed, right? They kind of makes you think about global peace and the fact that we do have to feed that monkey of building these bombs. 100%, man. All of the places... Dude, we have military bases in something like 200 countries. How much of that is actually necessary to keep us, quote, safe here in the United States? Mm, I have no idea. It's impossible to know, to your point, because we don't live in a world that, that doesn't exist. But to deny that that is imperialism is to just be playing semantics and changing definitions of the English language. We are an imperialist country. We don't necessarily conquer a nation and sweep it into our borders the way the Romans and the British did. But if you occupy a country for 20 years, is it not basically a U.S. asset for those 20 years? Pretty right? much, yeah. Yeah. And if you've got military and bases in place all over the globe to keep the peace and keep a mechanism for spying on... <laughs> terrorism and, and whatever else they claim to be doing like we are and we call ourselves a global the global superpower right well you have to be imperialist to be the global superpower they used to say about rome the sun never set on the roman empire well you could argue the same thing about the american empire because every one of those military installations is considered technically speaking sovereign american territory right i don't know Certainly a conversation worth having, though, my friend. Uh, one that I enjoyed. Cool. So thanks for bringing Glad. that discussion to the table. Uh, so, like I said, next week, we are going to... Well, we're going to talk to two guys who actually served in Afghanistan. One of whom... Um, he's from your neck of the world. He's a South Texas guy. His name's Justin Rokel, and he's, he lost both of his legs in Afghanistan. And then one of the his buddies he was like I, I, i'm interested in having the conversation but i would feel more comfortable if i had like a buffer like a another vet with me i was like do whatever you want to do so somebody i forget the guy's name but somebody that he served with is going to jump on that call with him uh, so hopefully y'all will tune in for that one as well because that will be i think a worthwhile perspective to hear um, from guys who actually sacrificed in afghanistan just to see what's happened to it now um you got anything yeah. else, Chisholm? Yeah, I have two things. One, um, you know, for all of our listeners and those two gentlemen, I have always supported our our military men and women. Right. 100%. It's not it's not their fault when they get sent into an unwinnable, unnecessary, contrived bullshit situation. They serve our country they signed up to do a job they go do the job and we are eternally grateful for that 100 percent. what i see from the folks in that community that i follow guys like evan hafer who owns black rifle uh, 
Black Rifle Coffee or this guy named Ryan Michter who's got a really big podcast that he calls Order of Man who's a former Marine. He posted just today this post and he started it by saying, you know, I don't, uh, it took me several days to, to build up to, to put this out there. But it was basically, he's like, I'm often, me and my you know, fellow servicemen and women are often told that we're not supposed to reflect back and question our time in our service. That it was an honor that we undertook willingly and happily and that nothing we ever did should ever be thought about again and reflected on. And he's like, that's bullshit. We should be looking back and thinking, was that really, was there any purpose in anything we were doing there? And you can have those, you can have that conversation and not be anti-American or anti-military. I would definitely like you to kind of prime those guys, maybe ask them to listen to this episode. <laughs> sure. Because I'd like to have a real conversation with them and it not get off on the wrong direction of like them thinking all of a sudden they're getting. Oh, no, by uh, some... Justin, I consider a friend. Um... Good. Yeah. And I bet he probably sees plenty of issues with what they were all collectively asked to do, especially in light of what's happened in the last week. It's like, yeah. what was all that for? Right. Yeah. My only other thing was you had posted on Instagram on our account. Uh, and just as a caveat, cable maintains the Instagram account. I'm just going to make sure everybody knows that <laughs> I've asked for Chisholm's help, but he refuses to do it. So you questioned the, I guess, brand new policy of bringing Afghan refugees into uh, American military bases here domestically, one in particular uh, here in Texas. And I almost posted, but I didn't. But I do think it's worth considering. And it, maybe it's great to just hold and talk with those guys about. But that is, we went over there and we uprooted and overturned their entire civilization. Um, curried favor and drew a bunch of uh, Afghan civilians to our cause only to abandon them and leave them at the mercy of the Taliban. Do we not owe it to them to take them in now? I don't, they would not take be in a whole country Chisholm. So I, I agree. I'm just saying cannot. they would not be refugees, but for American interference. And that sort of goes back again to my entire point here. What if we're going to go Chisholm, around? What if, they enjoyed 20 years of not being raped and being able to walk in the streets in their, in their capital of cabal. What if that dude, I mean, what if, I mean, do I bet you they like that idea of not being raped when they go out in public, but that wasn't why we went after the Taliban. I'm, I'm just telling you like, maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't a bad 20 years for, for a lot of Afghan civilians. I think, that, you know, this is a totally different conversation, but maybe they enjoyed it. I, I'm sure they enjoyed it more than Taliban reign. Well, we think, right? We know because they want to come here. They're trying to jump on the planes. We we don't think we know that they liked it better. than if they didn't, they wouldn't be fleeing. I think it's pretty sure. It's very clear looking at the images and videos that are out there of all these people trying to get on these planes. That yeah, it was be it was a better time. I don't know what living under the Taliban before 2001 was like for Afghanis. I really don't. And maybe the guys we have on next week can kind of illustrate some of that for us. But I, I don't know. I don't know that it's true that they were all being kidnapped and raped in the street until we got there. Um, my, what, I, what I do know is that's not why we went there. Right. 
We didn't go there to save them from being raped in the street. That was never explained to us as the rationale, right? No, no, no. So of course not. that being said, I'll assume it wasn't ideal, but I'll also assume they probably weren't routinely just, you know, r- raped in the streets, right? But, but if you anyway, fast forward you 20 years later, come over as immigrant immigrants, like you just can't do it. We can't bring them all over here. So how do you pick then, and choose which ones I, come? I'm with you. Then you shouldn't invade that country, eradicate its existing government, try to prop up a new government and then bail on them in the cover of night. If you don't want to have to take on the burden of what to do with that country. I'm not That's the problem with you. Right. We took out a government, whatever that government's warts may be. And tried to implement a. 21st century Western Democratic Republic in a place that for thousands and thousands of years has had no interest in such things. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It didn't work. And those people are fleeing now, not because of, you know, things being returning to pre-America, but because their involvement with America in that 20-year period has made them enemies of the new regime. Right. Just like you and I are enemies of the current regime. And you know what? <laughs> I'll say this. If they were, <laughs> that was pretty good. If they really, if there's really 300,000 trained Afghani militants or, you know, mili- you know, soldiers against 75,000 Taliban militants, why did they just lay their arms over and surrender? Like if, if going back to the Taliban regime was so bad, why didn't any of them stand the fuck up and fight? Yeah. It's a valid question. Yeah. All right. Well, we are out of time. We're out of time for today. It's going to do it for episode 42 of Justified Pursuit. For Chisholm Cook, I'm Cable Smith, and we will see you guys next week. Stick with us. We're going to fix it. we can drive around this let the cops chase us around The past is gone but something might be found A day you 